Hare Krishna, everybody. So, welcome back to today's session. <clears throat> so, Alda Maharajik, no introduction, is uh, famous for his uh, uh, glorious service to the Vaishnavas. But still, it is our pleasure to welcome Maharaj and would like to give a brief introduction of uh, uh, Krishna Shetra Swami Maharaj. Krishna Shetra Swami is a disciple of Srila uh, Prabhupada. He joined in 1972 and extensively traveled throughout Europe and Australia while doing book distribution. Australia? He also as a... Austria. Europe. Austria. I, I've, okay. I visited Australia okay. once or twice only. Okay. I don't know where I don't know where you get this information from. <laughs> our team, our team has found out something. <laughs> Might be spotted in Australia as well. <clears throat> so he uh, he also served as a as a pujari at New Simachalam, Germany. He started his service as an initiating spiritual master in 1987. Uh, he helped compile and publish Pancharatra Pradeep. Uh, ISKCON's manual for temple worship. He also served as ISKCON GBC as a minister for duty worship until 2005. He holds a master's and PhD degree in religious studies from Oxford University. He also acts as a dean of studies at Bhaktivedanta College in Radhadesh. So we are uh, very thankful to you, Maharaj, for accepting uh, our invitation to speak at ISKCON Sanyas College. So let us uh, all chant the Hare Krishna Mahamantra and welcome as well as Krishna Chakra Swami Maharaj. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, 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 uh, program. I'm very honored uh, to be with you. It's always an inspiration to see the, uh, to associate with uh, the sannyasis and uh, budding, I would say budding sannyasis. <laughs> and maybe we can also uh, say that all of us, I myself included, uh, we may or may not officially <clears throat> be designated as sannyasi, but from Śrīla Prabhupāda we understand what is actual sannyasa, uh, and we are aspiring, all of us, to realize uh, this truth uh, in our lives. So today, as I, I have been requested our discussion will be on the subject of the life history of famous sannyasis. Uh, before we begin, let's chant some Mangala Charana. Oma Jnana Timarandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shigurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Svayam Rupa Kadamahyam Dadhati Svapadantikam 
Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuttabaragamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavangscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatang Vitang Tang Sajivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Vitangscha Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale Shrimate Bhaktivedanta Swamin Itinamine Namaste Saraswate Deve Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine Vancha Kalpatarubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhya Evacha Patitanam Bhavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Nama He Krishna Karana Sindhu Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavaneshvari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasari Gora Bhaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So um, let me make a small adjustment here. Put this here and this down here. And then put that away. And get my notes. I have made some notes for our topic. Okay, uh, first, again, I want to say I'm happy to be with all of you. I, um, I'm happy to see those of you who I know. <laughs> um, Pran Govinda Prabhu, uh, Suttapa Prabhu, um, who else do I know? Prajasundar. Um, so many of you are, for me, not... Yes, Vish, Vishvavasu Prabhu. Nice to see you. And some of you I may have met, but my apologies for um, my shortening memory as I get older. Uh, I hope that I will serve your purpose uh, in, these, in this session. And I should perhaps ask, as I understand uh, the schedule is that we have two hours. Um, do we want to take a, sh a very short break after one hour? Is the, uh, do you have a, a custom, a tradition for that yet? Or everyone is doing nonstop two hours?
please advise advise me. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see. Um, I may need a break, um, but it'll be very short. But let's see how we go. Our topic is life history of famous sannyasis, and uh, I'm I'm specifying this uh, perhaps by saying life history of famous renunciants, uh, because technically speaking, um, we have within our Vaishnava tradition a very strong tradition of uh, renunciation. And we have, specifically in the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition, I would say a subset of that uh, is mm, of devotees who have taken formal sannyas. And so I want to be inclusive, and I think we all want to be inclusive uh, in this regard. And uh, I want to also say that I may have uh, a few things that I can share, uh, but I, I know that many, if not all of you, will know these life histories already um, probably better than I do, <laughs> uh, at least in some respects. And... I want to say, please feel free. Uh, I think we can, you know, keep this in a in an informal mode, so that you can interject, you can add points, you can correct points, whatever. And in this way, uh, it can be a nice exchange. This would be my suggestion. So let's. Let's proceed. First, I want to suggest some purposes for this session. Um, excuse me. And before I do that, I want to also mention uh, what I hope will not happen, which is uh, that I will not be suddenly cut off from the connection. Generally, we don't have a problem here with our electrical current. However, it does on occasion, without any warning, uh, get cut off. And in, in the uh, case that that would happen, I'll simply hope that I can come back on. I mention this because it uh, sometimes happens during or after a storm. And we just had a not a strong storm, but we had a storm here. I'm speaking from Poland, central Poland. Um, so that's just in case. Uh, let's hope for the best. So I want to suggest three uh, specific sorts of purpose or aims uh, of what we are doing and overviewing uh, one is simply to appreciate more about our renunciant tradition. Um, there are so many uh, glorious acharyas, uh, great souls, 
And I would say also many whom we don't know much about. And uh, so many we know the names of and not much more. Uh, in Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami lists uh, the members of the Chaitanya tree. Uh, approximately something over 300 names are there, I've been told. And uh, a great number of these, we only get the names. We don't hear any further details about them. Um, so we want to appreciate our tradition that we are part of. Uh, and, of course, going along with this, we want to always keep in mind how we want to be representatives of the tradition. Uh, we are carrying um, a, an invisible tradition behind us, a very um, august tradition, and we, especially as we take uh, the order of sannyas, uh, we become representatives to all, all of those whom we meet and we want to always keep this in mind and to help us to keep this in mind, uh, this, uh, this discussion and this remembering, I would say, recalling of our uh, great acharyas in, with respect to this theme of sannyasa and renunciation can be very helpful. A second theme, certainly uh, essential for us to keep in mind and reflect on and discuss, is the relationship between renunciation and bhakti in our tradition. There's so much that we could, uh, we can think about and discuss in this regard. Uh, for us, uh, the core principle in this regard is uh, articulated by Srila Rupa Goswami, Anasaktasya Vishayan, Yatarhan Upayunjata, Nirbanda Krishna Sambande, Yuktam Vairagyam Uchate. Uh, the principle of Yukta Vairagya is a core principle in our practice of Krishna consciousness. And it is uh, such a rich principle that it, it, it calls for a great deal, we may say daily reflection on what it means, uh, how we apply it, how we apply it individually uh, for our own um, progress in spiritual life and how we apply it uh, as being in a position of being an example for others, uh, being a teacher. A third uh, purpose, and this is maybe an obvious point, but it's something we, uh, that deserves being mentioned, is to be reminded that we are followers and not imitators. Um, 
What I mean specifically by that is we want to be careful not to be thinking, yes, these uh, great renunciant preachers about whom we are discussing, remembering, they became very famous, and so may I also become great and famous. Uh, that is not our motivation, but rather uh, just the opposite. We become humbled by seeing the exalted position of and accomplishments, especially, particularly in the matter of renunciation, devotional renunciation. Uh, and of course, this is, we are reminded of this um, by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in his Shikshashtakam. Nadanam najanam nasundarim kavitam va jagadisha kamaye. Mama janmani janmani shvare bhavatan bhaktir ahaitukitvai. He begins by listing uh, the things which are not of interest for the devotee, nadanam, nadjanam, nasundarim, kavitam. Uh, and in one lecture, Srila Prabhupada was discussing this verse, and he said, so then you don't want any of these things? Then, then what do you want? And the answer, mama janmani, janmani shvare, I want a haitugi bhakti, and not just in this life, but life after life. Okay, so I've made some notes, and uh, if I had had more time, I would have prepared a nice, um, you know, PowerPoint and so on, uh, but I have not done that. Um, I could share these notes. I, I could put them up if, if you like, uh, so that you can see. My only, my only hesitation is that they're not, they're sometimes a little bit cryptic. <laughs> they're, they're notes more for myself than for others. But perhaps with your uh, understanding, your, your um, allowing for faults, we can go ahead and make this available. Um, let me see if I can arrange. Let's see if I can have access to share screen. Yes, okay. Okay, that should be to close some things. Hmm. Okay, one second, I'll be ready. Oops. Okay. 
There we go. Uh, should I make this larger? I can make it, I think, bigger. Okay, how is that? Is that um, readable? Readable, yes, readable. Yes, Marge, yes, Marge. Okay, thank you. All right, so um, we'll have to see how we go with the time. I've uh, basically put this in chronological order, we may say. And uh, I'm beginning with sources, uh, with personalities in our Bhagavatam, and uh, moving from there into what we would call early history, uh, in moving into um, Vaishnav history generally, and then into Gaudiya Vaishnava, and coming to the modern time and um, not being comprehensive but uh, somewhat selective considering the time. So I think it makes sense uh, to begin what may be called Rishi Parampara, the roots of our tradition in the Bhagavatam, and uh, certainly the first person we may think of in this regard is Srila Shukadeva Goswami, who from his birth, we understand, was thoroughly renounced, uh, so renounced that he did not even want to take birth. We are told he had to be persuaded. <laughs> uh, he... Uh, was persuaded by Lord Krishna, uh, and he demonstrates for us the perfect combination of uh, renunciation and devotion in the sense that he starts out uh, being perfect in renunciation as an example, as an embodiment of Atma-Rama, Uh, and therefore, um, he becomes, um, by, the, by the arrangement of his father, Srila Vyasadeva, uh, to become attracted to Krishna, to Krishna Kata. Atmaramascha muneyo nirgranta api urukrame kurvantya haitukim bhaktim itam bhuta guno hari. Uh, the first verse there, Svasuka Nivrita Chetas Tatvyudas Tanyabhavo, is uh, from the twelfth canto. It's describing also his, um, Shukadev's self-satisfaction, uh, which then turns uh, to a desire to, um, to give Krishna consciousness to others. Um, Shukadeva Goswami is contrasted with his father, with Shilavyasadeva. And the story mentioned in a verse in the first canto, the bathing 
girls, as Vyasa passes by, uh, the girls respond by covering themselves. Um, but in contrast, when Shukadeva Goswami passes by, uh, they do not feel the need to cover themselves because they recognize that for him, there is absolutely no difference between uh, these girls' physical forms and any other physical forms uh, because of his exalted uh, position, his, uh, because of his we can say his thorough inner renunciation. Uh, a, a renunciation which is based on the sense of, non, of non-difference, of, uh, of samabuddhi, of seeing all, all forms as the same. So, of course, it is um, to our great fortune that Srila Shukadeva Goswami is uh, presenting, is giving the Srimad Bhagavatam, reciting the Bhagavatam to Maharaj Parikshit. And we may want to contrast Shukadeva with Maharaj Parikshit also, um, just in terms of position. Shukadeva Goswami is uh, a, an ascetic, a renunciant. Maharaj Parikshit is a Maharaja, he is a great king. I've always found it somewhat ironic uh, that sannyasis are addressed as Maharaja, <laughs> since, you know, uh, the idea is to be anything but a Maharaja. <laughs> so, uh, so that contrast is also there, but also the complement of the two, uh, a, a pattern which we find throughout the Bhagavatam, uh, that kings are being instructed um, by sages, although sometimes the relationship is, is reversed. Um, and there are several renunciants in the Bhagavatam weekend then remember and reflect on what it is in their particular features uh, that are inspiring for us or which may mm, give us pause to uh, wonder how it is possible that one be so renounced. Uh, I'm thinking of Dhruva Maharaj in his childhood but I'm getting ahead of myself. I think uh, it's good to remember the four Kamaras, certainly. Again, uh, renounced from birth, and uh, because of their renunciation, in their case, going against their father's wish, uh, which was, of course, to become prajapatis. Uh, and this is a theme that kind of threads through the Bhagavatam as well, is relationships between sons and fathers. Uh, sometimes they are harmonious and sometimes they are disharmonious. Um, but here the 
principle of renunciation that the four Kumaras embody puts them in a position of opposition to their father. And that can be a theme in itself, is relationships uh, of sannyasis to family or lack of relationship, uh, depending on circumstances. In any case, the four Kumaras uh, can be compared also to Shukadev Goswami with respect to at least their appearance. Shukadeva is physically naked, the four Kumaras are physically naked. Uh, and let us be reminded, in case anyone would be confused on the subject, uh, this is not to be imitated. It is interesting, I find, just from a kind of um, study of religion's perspective, that uh, there is, as you probably know, this tradition in India of uh, the Jains, the Digambara Jains, uh, sadhus who uh, go naked, sometimes not completely naked, uh, but especially in the south, in South India where it's warmer, uh, they may go naked. Uh, but with the idea of nakedness, I think it's significant to reflect on it in an allegorical sense. Um, to be naked allegorically, what do I mean? I mean to have a sense of being defenseless in any other way than to be in the shelter of the Lord. And it also means to be transparent, uh, which means having nothing to hide. This is, uh, it's an ideal, but it's something that uh, the sannyas uh, ashram in particular is, is aiming, is aspiring for, is pursuing. The sense that I have nothing to hide. I am what I am. What you see is what you get. <laughs> and uh, I have no need for defending myself, whether it's uh, physically or um, intellectually or whatever. Um, if there is need for defense, uh, let it come. And let it come through the Lord, by the Lord's arrangement. Otherwise, uh, I have no need for defending myself. Which is not to say that uh, as renunciants we don't take precautions, appropriate precautions uh, to protect ourselves, because we are protecting ourselves for service. Mm -hmm. As... Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said with, uh, told to Srila Sanatan Goswami, who was mm, planning to give up his, his body 
to commit suicide. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, no, you cannot do that. Your body belongs to me, and therefore you must care for it. Uh, the four Kumaras uh, famously um, become devotees of Lord Narayan when they come to his lotus feet and uh, they smell the aroma of the Tulsi on Lord Narayan's feet. Tasyaravinda, Nayanasyapataravinda, Kinjalka, Mishra, Tulasi, Makarandavayu. Mm -hmm. Sankshobhyam aksharajucham apichittatanvo. Uh, they were transformed, they were shaken uh, um, by this encounter with the Lord. And so they became, uh, they joined the Hare Krishna movement, so to say. We may also consider King Pritu. And here we may initially be surprised he was a king and so on. But uh, King Pritu also demonstrates renunciation, particularly in the fact that he, is, he receives uh, the teachings from the four Kumaras. Uh, he is qualified to hear from them because of his uh, sincere desire to hear, and we may say also by his some sense of renunciation. Let me merge this, possible. Nope. Okay. And how can we ref how can we speak of renunciation in the Bhagavatam? without mentioning Narada Muni. Who we understand um, pre is prepared for this position in his previous birth. This story is told in the first canto, uh, early chapters of the first canto, in the context of Narada speaking with Srila Vyasadeva. Um, describing his how I became how I joined the Hare Krishna movement uh, story and the key of that story is of course that he has had association with what Srila Prabhupada calls the Bhakti Vedantas mm-hmm We, know, we all know the story, uh, how his mother was suddenly meeting her fate. Um, snakes in Vedic literature are often um, re representing or symbolizing or embodying fate. Yadrichaya, uh, by some arrangement of uh, of higher arrangement of fate, daiva. Uh, he loses his mother, and because he had become attached to the Bhaktivedantas, he's able to proceed alone. He travels alone. It's mentioned sometimes, though, 
in the Bhagavatam, he does have a companion. Um, who is it? Parasaramuni. He travels with mm, at times. Uh, and I want to mention his acceptance of being alone is important. Uh, we can say, what is sannyasa? Srila Prabhupada said the first qualification of the sannyasi is fearlessness. And something that is uh, a cause of fear uh, for conditioned souls in general is the sense of being alone. Uh, the sannyasi, on the other hand, welcomes being alone, being alone with Krishna, being alone with devotees, not having mundane association. So Narada is uh, our example for that in his in his youth or his childhood in his previous life. Uh, we know again the story of how he preaches renunciation to the prachetas. Uh, um, I'm saying prachetas, but I also want to say the other two sets of sons of, uh, of Daksha, uh, the Haryashvas, and what was the name of the other group? Bahulashvas. Bahulashvas, thank you. <laughs> Uh, all of which led to Narada becoming cursed by Daksha because he had um, uh, deviated his sons from their path of becoming prajapatis. A curse, which I put here in, uh, in quotation marks because, of course, we understand it was actually a blessing. And the blessing was that he would always travel. He would not stay in any one place uh, for any length of time. Uh, and while he travels, he is a musician. We have this nice song from Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Narada Muni Bajayavina Radhika Ramana Nami. As he's traveling, what does he do? He plays his veena and he sings, he chants Radhika, the name of Radhika Ramana. So renunciation, in the case of Narada, we can say facilitates his becoming an accomplished musician but his interest is not in being a musician as such, but his interest is to simply glorify the Lord. But his glorification of the Lord, uh, he is accompanied with, he accompanies himself with the vena, suggesting that he also um, appreciates good music. He, he has some refinement in his mm, musical taste.
We may also want to remember Bhishma Deva. Uh, of course, we all know from his youth, making his formal vow of celibacy. Uh, now, up till and including now and continuing on again, we're we're not talking about the uh, acceptance of the order of sannyas, the ashrama. Uh, Bhishma remained throughout his life uh, with the uh, family, the kurus, and indeed at uh, the end of his life he fights in the Kurukshetra War, and it's in the Kurukshetra War that he is uh, finally brought down and from which he, from his own choice, leaves the world. Again, here is an interesting case of father-son relationships uh, because Bhishma, from his own choice, uh, to favor his father, his his father's desire uh, to marry a second time, uh, he facilitates that uh, desire of his father by uh, resolving and making a firm vow of celibacy. And Bhishma Dev is for us an important example of keeping his vow despite uh, the, we can say, demand uh, of uh, the young lady, Amba, for him to marry her, um, which was a demand also made by Bhishma Dev's guru, Parashurama, a demand that led uh, to an actual fighting between them, uh, which then Bhishma Dev demonstrates, in which he demonstrates his utter determination to remain celibate. Bhishma Dev is recognized as one of the Mahajanas, and uh, he's also celebrated for his extensive a teaching in the Shanti Parvan of the Mahabharata. Uh, and for us, especially important, of course, in the Bhagavatam, in the first canto, chapter 9, we have Bhishma Deva's prayers to Lord Krishna as he is preparing to leave the world. Uh, these are very fine prayers in which Lord Krishna is personally present to hear them. Uh, Krishna remains silent throughout uh, the uh, Bhishma Dev's offering of these prayers. So again, his renunciation is culminating, we may say, is made perfect uh, in his bhakti, in his devotion to Lord Krishna. In the fifth canto, we have uh, King Rishabhadeva again retiring. And this is a pattern that we find in the Bhagavatam. Several kings 
at a certain point in their careers as kings, they renounce, they go to the fort, they hand over the kingdom to their sons, and then they retire and go to the forest. And Rishabdev, again, is important for us as an example, not just for his renunciation, but for his teaching. The content of what he's teaching, uh, but also the fact that he is, we can say he is showing his responsibility to his sons um, by, by giving them spiritual knowledge. Nayam deho deha bhajanri loke kashan kaman arhate vidbhujan ye. Tapo divyam putraka yena sattvam shudyet yasmat pramasokyam tvanantam. He's showing his responsibility to his sons. The question arises with renunciation that. Is this responsible that uh, this person is leaving his family, leaving his children? So Rishabdeva is an example of responsibility in this sense, uh, that he takes care to teach his sons before he departs. And then we read about his, his uh, life as a renunciant, the extremities um, of austerities that he experienced, and in particular how he uh, was abused by uh, people that encountered him and how he tolerated, how he tolerated that uh, abuse, not protesting not saying, oh, don't you know I'm the king? Or I was the king, but now I've given up, you should respect me. No, simply accepting whatever came. And then we have Jadabharata. And Jadabharata uh, is the same pattern, we may say. He's a king uh, who, uh, with great purposefulness, renounces and becomes the yogi Bharata, although that term is not found. I'm suggesting he becomes a yogi. And in his meditation, uh, being a soft-hearted yogi, he cannot um, resist to give shelter to the deer, uh, the, the fawn, this uh, deer that had just been born. The consequence of which, of course, uh, is he becomes distracted from his meditation and he becomes very much attached to this deer. Uh, as is described, how he feels some separation from this deer as it uh, sometimes goes away into the forest, he becomes greatly anxious. This is an anticipation. Uh, we may say, for uh, the mood of the gopis in the 10th canto when they experience viraha, vipralamba uh, from Lord Sri Krishna. Uh, in his 
attachment, uh, the yogi Bharata becomes the dear Bharata in his next life. And because of being a yogi, he is remembering, and because of being yogi in his previous life, he has this power of memory, and so he has the blessings of the sadhus in his life as a deer. So we may say that this life as a deer, although it is referred to as the result of a fall down, it is in a sense also a fall forward. Because as a yogi, he was um, he was uh, not getting the advantage of good association. Now as a deer, he gets the good association preparing him for his next life as Jada Bharata, as uh, the dull Bharata, the Bharata who feigns, who acts as if he is dull, when in fact he is anything but dull. He is um, completely sharpened in his uh, spiritual consciousness as a result of his mm, two previous lives, and we may say also his life previous to that as a king. Um, and we know the story how Jadbharata endures abuse. He uh, also practices uh, ahimsa to the, to the extent that he will not uh, allow himself to step on ants as he is being given the task of carrying the palanquin of, uh, of this king or chieftain, Rahugana. Again, uh, a renunciant, but more than just a renunciant, he is a teacher. And therefore, he appears in the pages of Bhagavatam. And we get what is it? I think it's three full chapters of his teachings to Rahugana in the fifth canto. I mention Lord Buddha also, even though he is mentioned in the Bhagavatam only uh, by name. Hardly anything more is mentioned of him. But I mention him because he becomes a, an important model of renunciation in later traditions. His story of renunciation is one of the most famous stories of renunciation in all of world religions. How he was initially kept... Uh, sheltered in the palace um, out of fear from his parents that he would renounce. Uh, eventually, he ventures out of the palace. There he is exposed uh, to persons with old age, persons suffering disease, and he sees also uh, someone dying or dead. There are various versions of the story all of which uh, prompts him to question what is uh, 
uh, all of this so-called opulence of palace life, and where is he headed? So he returns to the palace to question his father uh, and to challenge him that will he be able to protect him from old age, disease, and death? And his father confesses, no, it will not be possible. To which then um, Gautama Buddha resolves, in that case, I am going to pursue spiritual life. Then uh, it's good, I think, to be aware of, certainly you are all aware of, but uh, the renunciant Mahavira, um, one of the Tirthankaras of the Jain tradition, considered, as I remember, considered to be the most recent. And indeed, the Jains identify Rishabha, Rishabdeva as, um, as a Tirthankara in their tradition. Um, and that's mentioned in the fifth canto somewhat tangentially or obliquely. Uh, finally, uh, for the Bhagavatam, uh, I know you're also all aware, but it's good to remember that we have in Canto 7 the teachings of Prahlad Maharaj about uh, the proper behavior in the four varnas and the four ashramas, and in particular, it's chapter 13, which focuses on the sannyas order. And here there's an emphasis on travel, on austerity, on being alone and being self-satisfied, on being a friend of all living entities, and on being uh, peaceful and equiposed. And in the latter part of this 13th chapter, we meet Prahlad Maharaj as he meets uh, with the sadhu who is living as a python, a very interesting sort of analogy I find because if you you can see on YouTube uh, pythons eating live eating various animals it's quite horrible <laughs> but I don't think that's the way the analogy is meant the analogy is meant that uh, th this sadhu does not go out of his way in order to find nourishment. Apparently pythons may stay in one place until their food comes to them. Okay. Um, perhaps I should uh, pause here and see if any of you want to add something. Uh, to whatever I've mentioned so far. Any discussion? Um, let's see. Yes, Pran Govinda Prabhu.
Hare Krishna Maharaj, please accept my humble obeisance. Nice to see you, Maharaj. Nice to Happy see to you. See you. <laughs> Maharaj, um, you have mentioned in Narad Muni's case that um, divine arrangement that his mother left. So, in other words, he was preparing previous life for this life to be a sannasi. And you mentioned that he was uh, he was demonstrating that his life alone with Krishna. But then uh, I was remembering uh, Jayapataka Swami Maharaj in his 50th birthday lecture. He said he remembered not to be alone ever because danger of uh, Mataji's or some other mm -hmm. it's always good to be with another devotee yes so he said and he was expressing about it and he demonstrated few examples so i wanted to hear from you yes well thank you for reminding actually when when i um when i made my firm decision that i wanted to take sannyas um I went to sent several of my sannyasi godbrothers to request their blessings, and um, the f the first uh, sannyasi that I approached was His Holiness Jayapataka Swami, <laughs> and he was very happy. And he made just this point to me. Uh, so then. The question is there, as you're suggesting, with Narada. One point I would make is uh, Narada in his previous life, we understand as far as I understand, this all happened when he was still very young. He was a small child um, that he became orphaned. And um, the, the Bhaktivedantas, they had already gone so there was no one else um, around. There were no other, you know, devotees, spiritual persons around for him to associate with. And so in a sense, he had no choice but to wander alone. But his wandering alone, we can understand, was under the Lord's guidance. He was already uh, sheltered by the Lord, and it was just a matter of time before the Lord appeared to him, um, directly before him, to give him uh, the further impetus to continue uh, in his pursuit of the Lord's lotus feet. And then, as we know, the Lord then says, you will not see me again in this life, but he had the impetus, and so he was protected uh, from then on. So, yes, and we can say um, that in this respect, Narada Muni is not really uh, to be imitated. Mm. But Maharaj, recently I was traveling with Estanasi, I don't like to say his name because mm -hmm. I love him and respect him. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I was just I was just a conversation while I was driving with him. I said, Maharaj, uh, you travel alone? He said, yeah. I said, how come no servant? He said, it's too much trouble to, I have to take care of the servant instead of he takes care of me sometimes. I, said, <laughs> I, I, I prefer alone. <laughs> so then I was thinking like, what is your practical uh, suggestion for us to think in future? Okay, that's, that's an interesting question because um, in our modern situation, we, we are traveling, we may be taking flight, um, you know, halfway around the world and so on. And it may not be practical that we have another devotee with us um, because of circumstances. Um, <laughs> or as, as your sannyasi companion said, it's, it's too much trouble. <laughs> uh, here I have to say, truth be told, that I am, uh, since, since I can remember, I am, so to say, traveling alone. But it's always traveling between two points where there are devotees. And so I see it that way, that I'm simply you know, making a transit. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not wandering alone. I'm going from point A to point B, from temple, from one temple to another temple, from one uh, group of devotees to another group of devotees. And uh, if we have this understanding... Um, it it's not ideal, but it's it's. I find it personally. I find it manageable. Now, this uh, I should say it's not our tradition specifically, but I have seen. Perhaps some of you are familiar uh, in the Swami Narayana group. Uh, their sannyasis, I have seen. They are very strict on this point. Um, and they have other, so many restrictions uh, regarding uh, keeping distance and keeping away from the opposite sex and so on. Um, but we have seen this in Oxford. We have our Center for Hindu Studies and we had uh, one um, Swami Narayan uh, sannyasi who was attending some classes. He eventually uh, became a student and took his doctoral degree in Oxford. And he always had a brahmacharya assistant with him. Uh, he would come to our center uh, where... In the center, it's it's a kind of academic center, so there's people coming and going, uh, male, female. And so he always had his brahmacharya assistant with him. And I thought, wow, this is, that's really impressive. <laughs> mm. uh, it's certainly a good thing if it can be done, if it can be arranged. Thank you, Maharaj. That was very nice. Sutta Papru. 
Thank you, Maharaj. Uh, thank you for this. I, I think Pran Govindu touched on the point, and I guess I, I was just going to share an observation and, and maybe you could expand on it. Just that it seems that it, in the way devotees take sannyas now, it, it's obviously an institutional sannyas, so it's is very different to the classical kind of sense of how sannyasis become independent and they wander free from all ties. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like taking sannyas now, you become more socially involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was thinking even, for example, with preaching, um, you know, it almost seems as though in ISKCON, unless we really get involved in devotees' lives and unless we show an interest and, and, and cultivate on an individual level through relationships, it, it seems that a major part of our preaching is lost. Whereas, you know, sannyasis generally would avoid getting, getting entangled or getting involved very intimately with individuals in in that way. Yes. So I'm just wondering whether you have any kind of reflections or yeah experiences on on how taking sannyas within an institution how how to still maintain many of those principles and 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 also just one other question is. Um, I don't know, Maharaj, if you could share something about just that journey from being a brahmachari, maybe a senior brahmachari, to being a sannyasi and what that difference is in Mm -hmm. how you function. Because it almost seems, in one sense, very similar. But then, in another way, you're making a a step, you know, so Mm -hmm. just what that distinction is. Yeah. these are good points. We we are. Uh, you've used the term uh, institutional sannyasi, and that's a very good way of putting it. And it's it's good in the sense uh, that we are enjoined to identify very much with the institution, and uh, and to be representative of the institution. And and this is something we want to, I would say, we very much want to imbibe um, as, a, as an anchor for our renunciation, a kind of anchor uh, that, um, after all, what does it mean, as Prabhupada would say, wh- what do you have to renounce? <laughs> Anything one is claiming for oneself, uh, we don't own anything. And so what anchors us uh, in, in our identity as we are taking on this formal identity as sannyasi is, um, well, two things, the, the, the instruction of the instructions and blessings of our guru, or guru varga, I want to say, and of the institution as a whole, and and the ashrama, the sannyasa ashrama. We want to remember that we are representing 
all the other sannyasis, our um, our god brother sannyasis, our god nephew sannyasis, and so on. So uh, we depend on them, and they depend on us uh, to uh, show proper behavior and inspiring behavior. Um, and this point about getting involved in the lives of those that we're preaching with, I would say this is an ongoing challenge for me personally. It's um, perhaps even more of a challenge uh, in my present situation. I've <laughs> I was kind of an unusual case um, by some sort of odd twists of ISKCON history, I was um, designated as a guru, initiating guru, many years before I took sannyas. Um, but that's another story. But uh, in this position, and I think there's not a whole lot of difference whether one is officially you know, a Diksha Guru, uh, I think especially in the position of sannyasi, everyone is, uh, in one way or another, formally or not formally, at least a Shiksha Guru. And this means, Shiksha means giving guidance, and devotees want guidance more than just sort of cold quoting from Shastra. Um, we may we may be very good, very expert at having the right verse at the right time for every situation that comes upon us, um, but but uh, devotees could not hear you, Maharaj. Could not hear. Maharaj, not audible. Oh, uh, why is this? Can you hear me now? You're breaking up. <clears throat> okay, I will try to speak. Oh, Hare Krishna. Recording in progress. Hare Krishna, can you hear me now? Yes, you are audible now. Okay. So I don't know what happened, but it may have been this electrical cut. Yeah, so I was going to say, um, there's something which is called in the, um, in the Christian tradition, they call it pastoral care. Uh, pastoral care is the care that uh, persons in a spiritual position are giving for uh, for others, for, uh, we would just say, devotees, for congregation members. And uh, sometimes people, devotees, congregation, friends, they, sh they share all kinds of things with you and they want you to listen. 
And perhaps in this regard, our first duty is to do just that, to listen. Because often it's not a matter of having an answer, a solution, um, you know, this is what you should do, and so on. But they just need someone to listen, and specifically they want uh, a person whom they see as an advanced Vaishnava. They want to... They want to speak to you. It may even be in a confessional mode. They want to confess something. And you have to take that. Um, this is a, I think this is a whole separate seminar, in effect. <laughs> so I won't go into this much. But uh, I do want to say, as sannyasis, this is... A, and organizational or institutional sannyasis. Uh, this does become, what I would say, is a very integral part of one's service. And the essential thing to remember is, I'm doing this as a service. I'm doing it as a service for my guru. I'm doing it as a service for the persons I'm caring for. Um, a particular case which can be especially challenging is when the ladies want to share and they want your counsel and so on. And here we need to be careful, especially careful. And the general, the so-called rule of three, uh, which is there whether we're brahmachari or sannyasi, applies. Uh, we want to, when we're in a room, we can also say when online, you know, uh, keep it not private. That's, that's uh, the essential thing. And be, be careful, be self-reflective also, and be self-honest that, oh, I'm feeling like I'm getting pulled into something more than I can take. With women in general and with householders, um, a good uh, strategy, I think, is to help them find uh, someone else, whether it's another, a senior lady, uh, devotee, uh, a senior householder couple, and say, please, uh, it will be very good if you can get counsel for, from them get guidance uh, from, and per perhaps making the arrangement for them, uh, finding someone they can uh, take guidance from. Those are just a few thoughts. I hope that helps. Thank you, Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Sankarshan Nitai Prabhu. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Jai. So, Maharaj, uh, yeah, some points are already covered by Sutaba Prabhu and Pranagavind Prabhu. So, traveling, you are telling that uh, better to have somebody. And you are also mentioning the difficulty of having a long travel from one country to another country in terms of expenses and other factors. 
but you already mentioned that some tradition, they are very, very strict, not only one brahmachari. There is a group of brahmachari travel with the sannyasi. And Mahaprabhu, after taking sannyas, he was traveling with uh, at least one assistant minimum. So, although he took sannyas, he is a supreme personality of Godhead, but he was not traveling alone. Hmm. And I think our founder Acharya also was making sure that uh, somebody is always there with him. Although old age, but at the same time, he is a sannyasi also. Yes. <laughs> Yes, good point. And uh, he, he personally spoke, uh, he didn't speak to his daughter, in, uh, his sister also alone. Yes. So, although Pishima is very old, and he is also very old, mm. still he wanted a disciple to be there when he was speaking to his sister. So by this, we can understand the gravity of the um, of this kind of circumstances. Yes. And, uh, and uh, According to my experience with many seniors, they found it difficult uh, in their spiritual life because of this uh, being alone, traveling alone. Mm. And my Guru Maharaj also told me that Rizal Nizai Patakaswami Maharaj is my spiritual master. Mm -hmm. He said that uh, one of the main reasons I will continue. So he said that I never travel alone. Mm. Yes. I was never alone. I did not have any private life. Yes. <laughs> always this. Yes. And uh, that is very, very important. Just like you told that uh, privacy, that uh, sannyasi should be open book. Mm -hmm. So he should be open book. At the same time, he should not be always crowded with people. He needs some private time, but not private uh, um, situation, because private situation is always very unfavorable. Yes, and even if even if transit flight, Maharaj, when you go through that uh, modern fancy uh, airports and uh, being alone as a sannyasi or as a brahmachari, also mm. uh, generally I also avoid traveling alone. But sometimes when I travel from a long distance, uh, generally I make sure that as soon as I land, uh, another devotee is there. But sometimes it is uh, without a person. But that is also not so healthy in my personal experience. Also, yeah. So I think as an institution, institution is awarding sannyas. So pastoral care, you told in other tradition, we should also have a system of sannyasi care. Mm. So taking sannyas is a big commitment and uh, we should help from institution side also with some standard guidelines, how they can be protected. Otherwise, uh, uh, we don't have, it's not an individual choice of a sannyasi that I should travel alone or not. If there's an institutional policy, you must travel with another devotee hmm. at least one person. So if that kind of standard is established, then we can protect, I think, sannyasis in a better way. That's uh, my experience with the many seniors of our movement. Hmm. That's a comment, Maharaj. So Thank I want to hear comment on that also. Hare Krishna. Yes, I, I won't comment further on that now because um, I do want to kind of get back to our subject for this session, um, but it's certainly something that uh, deserves to be discussed further. Um, you can bring it up with the ministry, certainly. But thank you. Thank you for elaborating. Uh, Rishi Kumar Prabhu. Hare Krishna Maharaj. my question is uh, very, very fundamental. You see the list of all these people uh, through the ages, 
they've had uh, either divine intervention or a very specific purpose or they themselves having a certain vision uh, for them to accept the renounced order. Uh, but for us, we told that one noble reason for us to enter the renounced order would be that there is superior sanction or superior direction or a desire that is expressed. But apart from that, uh, for many of us who are potential sinners candidates, what do you think, Maharaj, should be the genuine, appropriate and acceptable reasons to enter the renounced order of life? Hmm. Okay. And the genuine... Acceptable, and you had a third word? Appropriate. Appropriate reasons. Um, my understanding is that sannyas in our tradition is specifically for preaching. Srila Prabhupada emphasized repeatedly that ashram as such is not important. Um, that one can be a devotee in any ashram, that one should take uh, the ashram which is most beneficial, which is giving one uh, the, the best, the strongest position from which uh, to practice Krishna consciousness and to preach. And famously in the fourth canto, not fourth canto, eighth canto, uh, in the story of, of uh, what do I want to say, Gajendra. Gajendra with the crocodile in, in one of the purports, Prabhupada uh, discusses this point. Gajendra was in, so to speak, he, he, he makes it into a kind of analogy, and he says, he was in this uh, lake, uh, and so he was not in his position of strength. And therefore, the crocodile, uh, who was in his position of strength, uh, was able to give him so much trouble for so long. And in that report, Prabhupada says, so uh, we need to all find the appropriate let's say, uh, ashrama, lake, the appropriate place from which or in which we can have the strength uh, to practice Krishna consciousness most effectively. So sannyas, taking the order of sannyas uh, formally and in the heart, uh, should be based on the sense, the recognition, I can do so much more for Krishna in this position than otherwise. That I will be uh, minimally inhibited or held back from service to Krishna by taking this position. Uh, so these are appropriate reasons, um, I would say. And uh, if we may not get some, you know, call from the the sky opening up and 
we get a vision of Krishna telling us, now you should take sannyas. <laughs> um, in my own case, I can say I, I waited. Devotees were wondering, as I mentioned before, somehow it happened I was given this uh, service of accepting disciples mm, for so many years. And, and devotees would ask me, you know, why? how come you're not a sannyasi? And I said, quite honestly, I don't feel ready. I don't feel ready. Um, and at one point I did feel ready. <laughs> uh, and there was a, 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 there was a small, there were two or three prompts that came uh, just before I made this decision. But one of them was uh, a small child, uh, the child of um, one of the devotees I was visiting, was asking, quite small child, why you are not sannyasi? <laughs> and so I kind of took that as just possibly being a message from Krishna. <laughs> and it was just a few days after that uh, that uh, opportunity came at a festival where there were many sannyasis including Jaipataka Swami. I went from one to the next to the next, and, and I just presented my case, and uh, they all said, yes, do it. So then I considered maybe it's uh, a good sign. But I think we all have our different stories of how it is we come to this conclusion. Okay. Um, please accept my humble obeisances. I am very much grateful uh, to you for your presentation. I want to share uh, a few thoughts regarding traveling with you. Mm -hmm. Because you were speaking about this and this topic was elaborated and I very much liked what uh, Sankarshan Nitai Prabhu told today about it. Mm -hmm. So it was spoken about sannyasis who are traveling alone and about sannyasis who are traveling with uh, brahmacharis or with groups of people. Я лично сам знаю, что я знаю хорошо примеры, когда в основном путешествуют с какими-то брамачари, саньяси, но также знаком с ситуацией, когда саньяси путешествуют по одиночке. I know the cases. I know the cases when sannyasis are traveling 
with some companions and I also know cases when they travel alone. И действительно, что сегодня упоминалось, в каком-то случае какие-то вайшнавы, которые путешествуют вместе с саньяси, могут причинять какие-то неудобства. And it is true that when someone is traveling with sannyasi, uh, sannyasi can be troubled by this. А для некоторых, наоборот, нужна определенная поддержка, о которой говорил Санкаршана Нитай Прабу, что, в общем-то, является естественным. Для некоторых саньяси или для некоторых сопровождающих? Микрофон выключили. А, а, ага. And uh, and some sun, uh, and uh, the opposite situation can take place. Some sannyasis uh, need some support, some help, uh, some people who can be like an assistant for them. На мой взгляд, глядя на данный вопрос, мне кажется, что для сам саньяси отреченный человек в соответствии со своим акцентом, в соответствии тем, как ему легче поддерживать этот дух отречения, может выбирать ту или иную модель. То есть с группой он путешествует или с одним брамачари, как Господь читания, либо путешествует один. So according to my understanding, it depends on preferences of, of the person, on uh, his uh, personality, on his nature. Some can travel, some people, can, some sannyasis can travel alone, some can travel with uh, brahmacharis, some can travel travel with a group of people. The main reason is, uh, is this help, helpful for the preaching or not? Uh, according to this, Uh, the particular model can be chosen. Mm. That is my opinion. Please, uh, Maharaj, please share your understanding, your opinion. Uh, please tell some words about it. <laughs> yes. uh, I think it's interesting that we've gotten into this topic. Uh, obviously, it's one of great concern for uh, all of us. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, there are two considerations. The one is um, whether it's... Um, what, the one has to do with what is facilitating the preaching, and the other consideration is what is facilitating the renunciation. Um, and we need to keep both in mind. Um, again, my own experience, and I think this may this may be something of a distinction. No, I don't want to go into that. But um, I I have to say that. My own situation has been largely such that I have not had, um, for certain certain conditions of travel, I have been just by myself. Um, I try to avoid it as much as I can, but sometimes it's not practical. And someone may say, "What? What do you mean, not practical?" Uh, and 
that's a whole nother dis discussion, and maybe I'm not being strict enough with myself. Uh, it's something I want to um, think more about, especially uh, because this discussion has come up and because Sankarshan Nitai Prabhu has spoken so nicely and strongly on this point. Um, but I think it, it's something that uh, deserves to be discussed more. And uh, I don't think we're going to come to any, you know, absolute conclusions uh, right now. Um, but certainly it's good that this issue is is kept on the table. I would just say like that. Um, I think we all have experience just from our own travels, as whether brahmachari or whatever. Uh, sometimes it's really nice to be with others, <laughs> other brahmacharis. And maybe sometimes we're feeling like, oh, uh, to be with this particular other person is such so much trouble. <laughs> then it may be a question of finding another person as a companion. Uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was quite frustrated when he was in South India, and he had this Krishnadas uh, with him who was sort of drawn away from his association. And he's, he's, when he came back to Puri, he said, don't give me somebody like this, you know. Uh, <laughs> So that is there. There, these these considerations are there. But I mentioned the Swami Narayan group because I think it's quite interesting that they uh, they do manage to keep um, you know a very strict standard in this regard. But having said that, uh, the Swami Narayan people, to my knowledge, they keep also within a rather a rather limited circle uh, of preaching in the sense that, and I may be corrected here, but I think uh, they focus very much on their Gujarati community. Uh, and so they have, they have their networks in which they function. Whereas with ISKCON, we're, you know, we're going all the way out into the, into the jungles, so to say, the jungles of, of, of the material world. Um, the, the, the general point I think we need to always keep in mind is don't think I'm more advanced than I am. Okay. Um, all right, the time is flying by and we're hardly getting into what I had prepared. But briefly, oh, Vishwavasu. Thank you, Maharaj, for a wonderful discussion. May I speak Russian with translator? Is it possible? Окей. Okay. Uh, вопрос такой, а какое, какие виды служения uh, нормальны для саньяси, помимо прямой проповеди, лекции, там, распространения, ну, то есть какие виды служения для саньяси ну, нормальны? 
As we know, uh, sannyasis, they do... Так, зацикливается звук у нас опять. Включайте микрофон, еще раз пробую, пожалуйста. В зуме, в зуме микрофон. Uh -huh. As we know, uh, sannyasis, they do direct preaching, they distribute knowledge, give classes and so on. So the questions are, what kinds of devotional service else are appropriate for sannyasis? Hmm. Yes. Nice. Uh, question. Actually, all kinds of service are appropriate for sannyasi. One time, um, this would have been late, no, not even late, early 1980s. I was traveling in South India. Um, I had a specific research project uh, to learn about Nrsinghe worship for our temple in Germany. Um, and I made a stop at one Godia Mat um, at, uh, what is it called, the place where Ramananda Roy met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh, there's... Sorry? Rajamundri, yes. So at Rajamundri, there's uh, one or two Godiamats and um, small Godiamats. There was one I went to. There were not more than five or six devotees. And one of them was uh, a very senior devotee. In fact, he was Srila Prabhupada's godbrother. It was uh, Shripad Bhakti Vaibhav Puri Maharaj. And um, we were very nicely accommodated myself. I had one brahmachari with me at the time. Uh, we stayed overnight, and the next morning we were with them in their morning program. And then uh, we had breakfast, and after breakfast, um, Puri Maharaj gave me some very nice of his time. I asked him some questions. He spoke very good English. And one of the questions I asked, or I expressed surprise, because I had seen uh, during the morning program at one point, um, Puri Maharaj himself was doing the deity worship on the altar, the, you know, the altar of, of the mat. He was doing the worship. And I just commented, I said, oh, um, I was surprised. To, and it wasn't just the arti he was doing. He was, he was doing more than that. So I expressed my surprise to him. And he, uh, he responded very strongly. He said, this is one of your problems in ISKCON. Your sannyasis think that they are not to do deity worship. This is wrong. <laughs> he was very strong on this point. He said, you are thinking, you know, I am preacher, this, that. Um, but no, you must do all service. Worship the deity, give, show example in this way. Um, I remember also 
maybe it was on the same tour. I was, I don't know, it was in the early 80s. I was in Puri, and I was staying at one of the Godiamats. And um, it was a sannyasi who was serving prasadam. He was, he was serving prasadam. He was doing the the so-called menial service. We know it's actually an exalted service. Bhunte bojayate chaiva. This is Vaishnava sharing exchange. Another service which is specifically for sannyasis, and I really want to underline this, Srila Prabhupada said this, is writing. What kind of writing? Well, uh, you can research what Srila Prabhupada says about writing. You can look at what he was doing. Uh, Of course, Prabhupada was doing his translating and uh, his composing, his writing of his purports and so on. But from very early years, Prabhupada was uh, encouraging devotees in general, uh, but specifically sannyasis, to write articles. He wanted them to write for, you know, Back to Godhead magazine and like that. Um, and you may say, well, but there's so much already written. We have Srila Prabhupada's books. We have uh, from some other senior devotees. There's enough. There's no need for more. I would say, no, that is not true. (laughs) There is need for more. And why I say that is... um, well, this is again a whole nother seminar. I gave a presentation in Mayapur called Write and Be Happy. Uh, but it was mentioned in the introduction that I did some academic uh, study. So one of the institutions where I studied, I did a master's degree in the study of religion at uh, a an institution in California called the Graduate Theological Union. Uh, This is a consortium of nine uh, nine seminaries. It's where they are training priests and ministers, mainly Christian, um, but it's a consortium. And the point is that Uh, these nine schools had come together to make one larger institution with one library. And this one library, at that time, this is already more than 20 years ago, at that time they had uh, roughly 250,000 volumes on the subject of religion mainly Christianity and Judaism. And that's a small library. (laughs) Uh, Just two blocks or three blocks away was the University of California, uh, which has something around eight 
million books. Of course, on all kinds of subjects. But the point is, there's always uh, there's a need for more Vaishnava literature. Uh, and this means... Uh, I mean, we could have a seminar on this subject sometime, perhaps writing for sannyasis, uh, to think about what sort of writing you might do, what sort of uh, abilities do you have, what sort of abilities um, could be developed, uh, which then you could bring to writing. Um but anyway, I want to a little bit emphasize that because Prabhupada emphasized uh, that Vaish uh, sannyasis in particular should write. Okay, finally, I think we've gotten through our question. Is that all right, Vishwasuru? Yeah, thank you very much, Mataraj. We'll wait next session. Your a seminar about writing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we can do that. <laughs> um, I have here a short note. Just, I think it's good uh, to be aware. We we have, there's a history of the sannyas ashrama, and it's been researched by a scholar. He himself is not a sannyasi. I've met him. He's a very nice gentleman. Um at uh, the University of Austin in Texas, Patrick Olivelle, um, originally from India. And many years ago, he wrote this book, The Ashrama System, The History and Hermeneutics of a Religious Institution. It's a scholarly work. It's an academic work. It's therefore not devotional as such. Uh, but he's analyzing from his reading of extensive reading of uh, Sanskrit literature, Dharma Shastra in particular, um, that he came to this conclusion from his study that there has been some change over time. That in the earlier system, it was characterized especially by choice that one could, from an early age, decide, do I want to be a householder or do I want to be a renunciant? And he says, over time, that changed. Uh, and he notes in particular in Manu, the Manu Samhita, that it became more of an emphasis on sequential movement through the ashramas with less sense of choice. And he also points out that um, all of this literature was addressed to Brahmins. Uh, it was written in Sanskrit, and that means essentially it was meant for the Brahmins. Okay, uh, I'm kind of wondering how to do this, considering that we have so little time I can, of course, send and make available for all of you these notes, but I think that practically all of it is going to be familiar to you, but maybe as prompting for remembering, remembering and possibly also for yourself to expand uh, for your own purpose. 
But uh, we have the pre and early modern times of sannyas. And here we get into what we may want to call formal sannyas. Uh, and famously, Adi Shankara took uh, the order of sannyas at the extremely early age of eight, at least according to the sacred biographies. The story being that uh, he kind of forced his mother to agree that he takes sannyas, uh, involving uh, the the being attacked by a crocodile or an alligator, and so on. Um, one thing that we find in these early accounts of Shankara, Ramanujacharya, and Madhvacharya is the notion of the Digvijaya, the conquering in all directions, uh, taking the renounced order, leaving home, and then um, confronting, encountering uh, opposition theological uh, or philosophical opposition. And, of course, we can um, say that all the accounts that we have are describing that um, the hero of the story, the particular sannyasi and renunciant, is always winning the debates. Uh, it may very well be the case uh, that they're winning all the debates, um, historically speaking, but in any case, with Shankara in particular, our understanding is that uh, he, being an, um, an incarnation of Lord Shiva, has come with a specific purpose, which is to recover uh, the Vedic tradition and bring the authority uh, of Veda and Upanishads um, back after it had been uh, disintegrated, uh, in particular by the activities of the Jains and the Buddhists and so many other groups. There were, actually, historians say there were any number of groups um, preaching all kinds of philosophies at a certain period uh, prior to the Common Era. And some of them sort of crystallized into what is now called Buddhism uh, or Jainism and so on. We know the story of Ramanuja Acharya, his taking sannyas, uh, having been a householder and having been embarrassed, deeply embarrassed, by his wife, Rakshakambal, uh, because of her misbehavior, her disrespect of the wife of his guru, Mahapurna. Uh, the story includes some, uh, some tricking uh, by Ramanujacharya to uh, arranged for her to leave home so that he could leave without her being present uh, by having 
arranging for a letter supposedly sent by her father. Please come, we need your help. Um, that story, the link I've given here. And interesting is also that he either wrote or commissioned uh, by his former guru, Yadava Prakash, uh, the composition, the Yati Dharma Samuchaya, which is a kind of instruction book for sannyasis. Um, and as a, as a, well, a related point, I want to call your attention to a very nice book by my godbrother, Kripa Moe Prabhu, it's called The Guru and Disciple Book. It's a quite thick book. Um, and I'm showing this because I think it's valuable for all of you. Again, you may not be uh, taking the position of Diksha Guru, but um, as, as a sannyasi, you find yourself being a Shiksha Guru for others. And I think you'll find a lot in this book which is helpful. Uh, it's written in such a way as to make it very accessible for aspiring disciples, but it also has considerable information uh, which you may not know, which can be valuable for uh, taking the role of guru. Uh, and within this, he includes some uh, excerpts from the Yati Dharma Samuchaya. Um, some of the details that are in that text are, we may say, curious and perhaps some of them a bit strange, but um, that may not apply to us, but it's interesting. One should either be shaven-headed or one may wear one's hair in a top knot. This is addressing sannyasis. If shaven-headed, he must shave his head on the lunar day that follows between the 14th day of the growing moon and the first day of the dark new moon. He should not shave during the four-month-long monsoon period. That's in the Yati Dharma Samuchaya. We won't go into that subject now, but just <laughs> to call your attention. Um, yes, Madhvacharya, of course, uh, also took sannyas as a teenager when he received the name Purna Pragya, uh, and he received the name Ananda Tirtha when he became the head of his mutt. Again, what's important for us, certainly in his case, is his energetic preaching. And he was a prolific writer. Um, well, dare I say, according to Wikipedia, uh, he composed 37 works, or at least they're attributed to him, including several commentaries and uh most particularly interesting is his Bhagavat Tatparya Nirnaya, uh, a commentary on 
the Bhagavatam, not a complete uh, verse-by-verse commentary. Okay, we start to come into our own tradition with Madhavendra Puri and then Ishvara Puri. And with Madhavendra Puri, we remember his extreme renunciation and that he would accept food only when it was when it came to him, so he could be, in a sense, like the uh, this sadhu who is compared to a python. Um, but also, we appreciate Madhavendra Puri's determination to serve the Lord, and this comes back to the point about service to the deity. We all know this is described in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Madhyalila chapter 4, Madhavendra's uh, passing through Remuna. And his purpose was to collect sandalwood from Puri and then bring it back uh, to, uh, to Vrindavan, to Govardhan, for his uh, Govardhan Dari Gopal. Um, it was not necessary ultimately because um, he was told um, by the Lord that it's not necessary. You can serve Kshira um, Chora Gopinath in this way, and in this way I will be satisfied. The point being that uh, with such determination, Madhavendra Puri went all the way from Braj Bhumi by foot all the way to. Uh, Puri, simply for this purpose of collecting sandalwood. And then he had this wonderful experience uh, with the the kir, the kshira of uh, Gopinath in Remuna. Uh, Madhavendra Puri is the seed of the Chaitanya tree, of which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the uh, is is the trunk. And we understand there are roots to this tree, and there are nine of them, and they are sannyasis. And unfortunately, we don't know very much about several of these sannyasis. And of those we do know something, we still don't know very much. What I want to mention uh, since our time has passed, is the explanation which I heard for the story of Junior Haridas. We all know this story uh, of how Mahaprabhu treated him so incredibly harshly, we may say. The devotees felt it was too harsh. And it ultimately led to uh, Junior Haridas resolving to um, to go and depart from his life um, because he saw no other choice. The Lord would not take him into his shelter. Uh, what was his offense? The offense from all descriptions that we have seems to have been very minor simply um, begging some rice from the very senior lady uh, devotee, Madhavi, 
uh, there's details, you know, there's various ideas that come, uh, whether that's the whole story. But my point here, uh, which um, I found helpful to understand this story, is that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu saw a situation at the time in Puri that he wanted to correct, but could not correct in a normal way because of his position as a junior sannyasi. What was the situation he saw? He saw that sannyasis were not being very strict in terms of their relations, their interactions with uh, with persons of the opposite sex. And he felt the need that they that a lesson be given. And so he, in a sense, contrived this situation, making Junior Haridas uh, the immediate recipient of it. Uh, the analogy, I don't think it's given in that context in the text, but uh, in other contexts, Prabhupada would say, uh, the teaching this teaching the daughter-in-law through the daughter. Um, you know, the daughter-in-law is doing something wrong, but she is not close enough to the mother-in-law to to um, reprimand directly, and so she reprimands her daughter, who hasn't really done anything wrong. But the daughter-in-law sees this and understands, actually, she's teaching me. So in the same way, the point is made about how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, acted with Junior Haridas. He hadn't really done something so wrong, but it was enough wrong that it uh, could be corrected. And by this, all the sannyasis would become very much sobered. And it's said at the end of that account that all of the sannyasis then became extremely careful and would not even dare uh, to think of women even in dream. <laughs> so uh, this is, I think, a helpful explanation of what, what happens in that story. Um, well, as I understand, uh, the scheduled time has come to an end. So um, I'll have to apologize for taking more time, perhaps, than I should have on our first part. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to call attention that we speak of sannyas, but within our tradition, the Bhagavatam although not speaking of the sannyas order as such, is very much about renunciation. And specifically, of course, it's about renunciation as applied appropriately uh, in devotion. And we may say, we understand from the Bhagavatam, real renunciation comes only when there is a proper and full understanding of devotion and that's the basic, uh, if not the basic, and, and essential teaching also of the Bhagavad Gita.
Krishna, Krishna. So, is our organizer with us? I see Iskan Sanya's ministry. Um, I don't know if... Um, Raj Sundar Prabhu is still with us? Maybe not. Does anyone want to give us some closing words for the day? Everyone's very quiet. Um, Sutapa Prabhu, are you there? Yes, Maharaj. Thank, thank you very much, Maharaj. I think, um, yeah, there's lot, lots to take away. Perhaps, Maharaj, if you could send uh, send me the notes, if you're happy to, I can share it with all the devotees okay. on the WhatsApp group, so then yeah. those points could still be shared. Okay. Um, so uh, thank you, Maharaj, on behalf of everyone for uh, spending this time with us and, and answering questions and we hope to have more of your association uh, in the future in this forum. My pleasure. Uh, Actually, one one uh, thought that I've had about this um, sanya sangha, I think it's something uh, that could be developed where it's not just about um, sanya's candidate training, but it becomes an ongoing program uh, where sannyasis, sannyas candidates can come together. Now, especially that we, we've all become accustomed to use online facilities, Zoom and whatever, uh, this becomes very, very possible. So that might be something for the sannyas ministry to consider, uh, how, how it can become a kind of ongoing program. Yes, Maharaj, thank you so much. Yeah, we'll definitely pass this idea on and perhaps, you know, a quarterly sangha or something like that amongst all the devotees. Yeah. To address topics, thank you. So okay. I, I guess uh, the next uh, session for all the devotees will be two hours from now, um, 5 p.m. IST. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you all. Thank you, Maharaj, for everything. It's thank wonderful. you. Thank you. Hari Hari Bo.